Amen. Mm. This morning we are continuing our journey through the book of Hebrews. And more and more I'm convinced that, not that I was ever doubted, but we'll never get through the Bible. Because the more you read it, the more you study it, the more you find that needs to be read and studied and more that God has for you. And this has just been a, it's been a great journey for me personally going through the book of, of Hebrews and finding hidden treasures and studying deeper things of God. This morning as we go, I've got, boy, I had so many notes and uh, studies and passages I found on it just got overwhelming. So we're going to do a flyby. I'm not going to hit on everything, but we're going to talk. We're in chapter nine, Hebrews chapter 9. Well, this will be loud. We can turn it down because I'll hold it kind of close. We'll get us a nice mix for the recording. So we're in Hebrews chapter 9. And we've been learning, studying how the Old Testament, the Old Covenant has been replaced with the better covenant. Talking about the things from Exodus, the law, that Jesus came to fulfill. We've talked about how Jesus came to be the best priest. The best high priest. This morning as we're getting into chapter 9, and it really, it's, it's just, at times it's even hard. God, what do you want to say out of each chapter? We're going to mainly focus on Hebrews 9, 1 through 15 this morning. And uh, we just, I just want to get a clear vision here from God. Let's, let's go to him again in prayer. And Father, this morning, you know, God, there's uh, so much, even in my notes. But Father, I just pray again for a clarity from you, that we'd spend some time together and that you would reveal yourself through your word. God, even as this morning we'll have a lot of teaching and we'll get to know a little bit more of the old sacrifices and the old tabernacle, God, reveal yourself plainly to us. Help us apply the word and not just learn and have head knowledge this morning. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Hebrews 9, in my Bible, in New King James, in the Spirit-filled life, it titles it the earthly sanctuary. And from nine to chapters, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 through 15, it talks about the replacing of the tabernacle. And so what I want to do this morning actually is go into Exodus 25.8 as our beginning scripture. And see God's purpose for having a tabernacle in the first place. We're going to spend some time. I've got some even some pictures and diagrams. But Exodus 25.8, as he was given the instructions to building a tabernacle that 
where God would dwell with his people, he says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This morning, as we go into the book of Hebrews, chapter nine, we're learning about the tabernacle and God instituted. He he told the people of Israel to build a tabernacle that he would dwell with them. We know that as we've read in the Old Testament, that as they constructed the tabernacle, that God's glory rested among it. And we call it the Shekinah glory. And for years, I think I shared this before, for years, Shekinah, Shekinah glory, I always thought Shekinah meant like brilliant, like this shining glory. And Shekinah actually means resting. It was his resting presence, his resting glory. See, God came down and he dwelt among his people. Let's go ahead and put the first PowerPoint slide up of the tabernacle, if it's going to work. When, when he told the children of Israel to build a tabernacle, he told them all the specifications. We're going to get into some of that this morning. But they built the tabernacle and they actually camped around it. And, uh, and we'll see if it gets there. We, we studied, but he put part of the tribes to the north, part to the south, part to the east and part to the west. But the tabernacle was in the very center. And God said, build me a tabernacle that I might dwell with them. The focus was always on God. God wanted to be the center of his very people. And so he built the ta- they had him, he had him built the tabernacle in the very center where all eyes would be upon him at all times. And so he gave in, in Exodus... He gives instructions on the building of this great tabernacle. Did we get it? There we go. And, and they, this is how the tabernacle looked. It was facing east, which was facing the sunrise, which is always what we as Christians should be doing. Always facing the newness, the new day, the newness of God. I don't think we need to change our, our churches that we should always face east in our churches. But as Christians, as the people of God, we need to set ourselves up that we're always looking at the sunrise, not at the sunset, at what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. But he gave instructions here, and we're going to read a little bit about that this morning. Go back to Hebrews 9 with me. In verse one, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary for a tabernacle was prepared. The first part in which was the lampstand, the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And that would be in on the left side of the drawing here. There's a white box. And this was the holy place. But the first part where they would enter into was called the holy place. And we had a, a three articles in there. Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holy of the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. 
The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. Verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. God, as he gave the law to the people, he commanded the people to build a tabernacle where his presence would dwell. The tabernacle became the most important thing in in all of Judaism. They would look to that because that's where God lived. That's where God dwelt. And they knew that they had sins. And so this was the construction of the way to atone for sins then we're going to go through each of the articles but that the people would come and they would offer sacrifices to god and receive the atoning or forgiveness of sins by the high priest as he would go in once a year into that most holy place but this was so important and as time went on they dwelt uh, in the tabernacle in a tent for years and years and then finally solomon constructed the temple which would replace the tabernacle. But the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, those were inside the temple because it was the the focus of the Jewish religion. Having forgiveness of sins. And so in the writing of Hebrews, it's important to remember that the temple was still intact. That the focus for the Jews was still the temple. And, And now the writer of Hebrews is going and overriding all of these things, all these parts of their religion saying, listen, Jesus came to fulfill all this. And that's what we just read in Hebrews, that Jesus came to fulfill the tabernacle, that this was just, the Bible says, this was just a shadow of the things to come. And it wasn't that there was a real tabernacle built like this in heaven, but that these things that were in the tabernacle represent that which is in heaven, and that is primarily Christ. And so for the Jews and hearing this in this time, you know, they're being shaken again to the core. Their their religion is stripped away as they're going, wait, but what about the tabernacle? He says, no, Jesus came to fulfill that. There's something better than the offering of of goats and bulls for the remission of sins. They had to do that every year. But it just says we just read, but Jesus came just for a one time sacrifice that his blood was offered once. As we read, if you continue reading chapter nine, it talks about that. He didn't have to go year after year. What does that mean? Jesus' sacrifice when it was made was good once for all. As we worshiped and we sang and God was speaking, his blood covers all of our sin. One time sacrifice covers every sin I've ever made or will ever make. He doesn't have to do it again, but I do have to receive it. 
everything in the tabernacle is representing of, of Jesus. And I want to talk just about a, a few of the elements and just do a brief overview because there's so much. I have a I, I have a 42 page uh, description of all the articles. Uh, it was just a great study and, and I pulled a few things out of that to talk about it. First of all, as, as God gave instructions to build the tabernacle, he gave 14 different materials that they were supposed to use. 14 materials in the construction of the tabernacle. They used gold. We used a lot of gold. In fact, in the, in the making of the tabernacle, there was one and a quarter tons of gold used in the making of all the furnishings in the tabernacle. One and a to- quarter tons of gold. You know, gold represents the deity of Christ. They used silver. They used four and a quarter tons of silver in the making of the tabernacle. Four and a quarter tons. And silver represents redemption. They used brass. Brass in the Bible represents judgment. They used different colors. They used blue. The color blue in the Bible represents heavenly nature. Heavenly nature and origin. They used purple, just as we have on the cross. Purple represents royalty. Whenever you read about purple, it's talking about royalty. Scarlet, referring to the sacrificed blood. They used fine linen. And the process for making linen, if you've ever looked into it, you know, if linen comes from flax. And flax can actually, flax can be grown anywhere in the world just about. It's, it's really easy to grow flax. But the making of linen is a, a really long process of combing it out and weaving it together. But linen, fine linen, represents spotless righteousness. And we see that the tents were made of fine linens throughout the tabernacle. They used goat's hair. Well, the goat was the sin bearer in the Bible. The goat was the sin bearer in the Bible. They used ram skins, also dyed red, the color red. And the ram skins represented the sufferings of Christ. They used badger skins, and badgers were common animals. And that actually represents the humility of Christ. Jesus came humble, ordinary. And so the badger skins. They used acacia wood. If you still read the King James, it's called shittim wood. Acacia wood. And that represents the humanity of Christ. Acacia grows... In the desert, and it can grow in the sand, but it, it's common in, in the sand, and it just comes up from nothing, from very humble means. And that represents the humanity of Christ coming up easily from the earth. They used oil to light the lampstands, and the oil, when we read about the oil, we'll go, get under this, represents the Holy Spirit. And there's recipes for spices for the anointing oil. And the spices for that anointing oil is the sweetness and preciousness of Christ. And then throughout the tabernacle, there were special stones, onyx stones, that's speaking of Christ's glory. Fourteen different materials used to build the tabernacle. All of them were given, all but one were given as free will offerings from the people. The people came and gathered the things and they offered all of these things free will. There was only one thing that wasn't offered in the building of the temple, in the building of the tabernacle, and that was the silver. 
Every person had to pay a ransom of silver. They had to pay it. No matter rich nor poor, each person brought a half a shekel of silver. That, that represents the ransom that Jesus paid. Silver was used to buy people, slaves. Joseph and Jesus was sold for 30 pieces. And so the only thing in the, in the construction of the temple that wasn't a free will offering was the silver. Everything else was an offering. It's going to cost you something to build the presence of God in your life. It's going to cost you something. But you have to give that freely. God doesn't demand it from you. You bring it to him freely. And calculated out, I found some different things. I recalculated for today's, today's value in gold and silver to build the tabernacle in today's dollars would be more than $50 million. 50. $50 million. That's a pretty expensive tent. Oh, that's not much bigger than some motorhomes. $50 million. And so this morning, what I want to really focus on are the artifacts that they used. And when you look up there, you see six things, but there's seven. And, and I do have them labeled as seven. We have the altar of burnt offering and the bronze laver, the brazen laver. Inside the holy place, you have the table of showbread, the altar of incense and the gold lampstand. And then in the most holy place or the holiest of holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. And usually we kind of lump the Ark of the Covenant all together, but the Mercy Seat was separate from the Ark of the Covenant. And I want to talk a little bit about each of these things because Jesus represents all of these for us. As There we go. As the people would come into worship, they would come into the outer tent, the outer court. Let's go back to that one right before there. They would come into worship. And there was a song we used to sing uh, years ago, Take Me Past the Outer Courts into the Holy Place. It was this progression in the song that we wanted to get into the most holy place to worship God. But the people would come. And the very first thing you would find in the outer courts of the tabernacle was an altar of burnt offering. They had to make it. You had to bring an offering, a sacrifice for sin. That altar was made of bronze. And on that, they would make an altar. Well, Jesus came to be the altar of burnt. He came to be the sacrifice burnt on the altar of burnt offering for us. And we can't go any further into the presence of God without going to the cross. The altar of burnt offering represents the cross for us. And we can't go into the presence. We can't have any relationship without the cross. Moving a little bit further, there was the bronze laver. And let's go ahead and now go two or three script, uh, slides up, Ed. The, the, the bronze altar was bronze. It had poles in it made of acacia, also covered in bronze. The, there was a grate for all the ashes to come through and the horns on it. And, uh, and go to the next one. But the, the, the laver was just, we don't know what it looked like. We don't know exactly the dimensions of it. But it was also made of bronze and there was water in it. And the priest would come and they'd wash themselves. They'd wash themselves and then they could actually look into the laver to, to see if they were clean and cleansed. See, Jesus came first to be our sacrifice, but now we have to see if we're personally cleansed. 
Just because Jesus died doesn't mean that you've cleansed yourself. And we need to continually be cleansed, washed with the water. And so the brazen altar or the brazen laver represents a couple of things. It represents the water and it represents the washing of the water of the word. We need to be cleansed even through the, the word and the Holy Spirit. We need to come to Jesus on a daily basis and say, God, how am I? Examine my heart. The sacrifice has been made, but we need to always look at ourselves. I apologize. My notes are out of order this morning. And once you walked in to the next part, there was three elements. And go ahead and push the first up. Yeah, the table of showbread. The table of showbread. And that represents fellowship in Christ. It represents the fellowship that we have in Christ. The Lord desires to have fellowship with us. And more, He wants us to know Him better. He's provided the table for us to come around. It's His invitation to us as believers to commune with Him by feasting upon the bread of life. Let's go to John 6.35. They would set up the bread there that the priests would set up each day and then take it away. But Jesus in John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Everything that God did in the desert was pointing towards Jesus. Even these things. Jesus came to be the bread of life. He came to be our sustenance. He came that we'd have fellowship with Him. The table was large enough to receive all who were worthy to come. All who would enter and desire this inner fellowship. But it was small enough to exclude all who weren't worthy. See, not everybody has fellowship with Christ. Not everybody can. Unless they've received the sacrifice of sins and been cleansed by the Lord, they can't have fellowship with Jesus. It's large enough for everyone who's worthy, but it doesn't include everyone. And that's something we need to remember. And that just because somebody says they're a Christian or wants to be part of God, they need to receive the sacrifice for his sins. The showbread the priest fed upon would represent the people. The priest would just come, they would eat the bread once a week. It was flavored with frankincense and it was replaced as it was eaten each day. And he is the basis of our fellowship. It's Christ right there. He is sufficient for us. Across the way, directly across from the showbread, was the golden candlestick. The golden candlestick had three arms on each side. And there were bowls, and it would hold the light. And, and we have to know, too, that in this place, there was no outside light. It was covered. The only light in there came from the golden candlestick. The only light in our fellowship with Christ comes from Christ. 
and golden candlestick represents the Lord. It represents Jesus being the light of the world, being a light to us. We need to learn to walk in the light of Jesus. At the center of the shaft, there was three branches on each side, and there was a total of seven lamps. There's about a hundred pounds of gold on the gold candlestick. A hundred pounds. The lamp for the oil was beautiful. It gave scent, but it also gave light. The lampstand is not the light before the world, but the world knew that it was a light. When we seek Jesus to live for his glory alone, the world will say, these men have been with Jesus. These men have been with Jesus. We want to have that light. That when we walk, we look different. Just before you walked into, into the Holy of Holies was the incense of altar. And again, we don't know what it looked like. We don't know the decorations exactly on the side. But it was made of gold. And the incense of altar represents intercession and prayer. The fragrance. Jesus says that he makes intercession for his people in Hebrews. Before we can go into the Holy of Holies, goes prayer and intercession. Jesus' prayer for us and our prayer for others. As we look at these things, it should remind us that we should always be in prayer. And that that prayer, just as it did here, would be like incense going up to heaven. As Jesus would listen and heed our prayers. And thank God that Jesus became our intercession. That he is the mediator for us. None of us can go in without Christ. How eager we should be to learn how to pray and to praise him. Before we go anywhere and closer fellowship with him. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to be an incense and an offering to you. As we go in, and before we can go into the Holy of Holies, there was a, a curtain that separated. Only the high priest could go into the, the Holy of Holies once a year. And there was a tent, there was a curtain separating the two places. Once a year, the high priest would go in after making sacrifice to go into the Holy of Holies. And in there, we find, go ahead and go to the next slide. We find the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is, was glorious. It was made of acacia wood, but it was covered with gold. And it was hammered and it was beautifully ornate. I, I'm not even sure. We don't know the, the weight of it for sure. But um, it was made of, of two pieces. There was the poles that always rested in it. But the top is not part of the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant were three things in the temple. It was the, the Aaron's rod that budded. It also had the testimony, the tablets that Moses broke. <clears throat> and it had manna preserved. And the Ark of the Covenant hold those three things for us. Representing the manna, representing again that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. The Ark of the Covenant is one of the two place things in the inner in the inner sanctuary in the Holy of Holies. But the top plate, and go ahead and go to the next slide, was the mercy seat. And we don't know what it looked like, but we know that it was made of one piece, hammered gold, with two cherubim on the outside. This is the only seat in the altar. 
This is the only place and nobody could sit there. But it represents the throne of God. It represents the throne of God. And what's great is that it covers the ark. It covers the law. Jesus being on the mercy seat, he covered the law for us. We didn't have to live in the law any longer. But because of his sacrifice, the throne which should have been of judgment becomes a throne of grace and mercy upon us. Jesus came to make propitiation for his sins, atonement. And the word, and, and, and if you've read that, if you have a new King James Bible, King James, and it says he makes a propitiation for his people, the same Greek word propitiation is mercy seat. The mercy seat is his covering of our sins. And Jesus came to be the one who covered all of our sins forever. It was done even then. The mercy triumphs the law. Mercy covers the law. Thank God for Jesus and his sacrifice. In the ark, the full surrender of the believer in the mercy seat, we see complete victory. Complete victory in Christ because he's covered the law for us. Seven articles of furniture. And this whole place has been called the house of blood. It's been called the house of blood because of the blood sacrifices that have gone on before. And Jesus makes it the house of blood as his blood sacrifice for us. It's prophetic. It's a shadow of the blood coming from the Lamb of God. The one true sacrifice that could cleanse us. The one sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. And in his blood, Ephesians 1.7 says we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. Ephesians also in one seven says we have forgiveness through his blood. In Romans five nine. Let's go to Romans real quick. But God demonstrates his own love, verse 8, toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. His blood brings us justification. Justification through his blood. Thank God for the new sacrifice, the house of blood. Hebrews 10.10 says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Through his blood, we have redemption, forgiveness, justification, and sanctification. We're set apart. We're made holy because of his blood. The people of Israel were never made holy. Their sins were just carried over from year to year until the next year when the high priest would come and make a sacrifice again. But when Jesus Christ came to be a sacrifice, we became a holy people. Not because of our good works, but because of his work at the cross. We have sanctification. 1 John 1.7 says that we have cleansing through the blood of Jesus. We have cleansing. We're made clean. Our consciences have been sprinkled with the blood. 
We've been made clean. We don't have to walk in the filth that we used to feel when we walked in sin. He's made us clean. He's made us new. Colossians 1.20 says that we have peace through the blood. We have peace through the blood. We need His peace in our lives. In Revelation 12.11, I'm going to go there. Something we need more and more. We need to walk in. We need to receive. Revelation 12.11 They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Through Jesus' blood offered, we have victory. We have victory. We can overcome the enemy who wants to He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Thank God for His victory. So because of the blood of Jesus, we have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have justification. We're sanctified. We're made clean. We have peace. And we have victory. And the number seven represents perfection. We have these seven things. We're made perfect in His sight. The old sacrifices, the old tabernacle could never make anything holy, could never make anything perfect. But Jesus coming fulfills all of those things and He makes us perfect. The altar, the cross, the labor, cleansing from sin, the table of showbread, the place of fellowship, to be fed on with Christ and the Word, the candlestick, the testimony of believers nourished by the oil of the Holy Spirit. The altar of incense is prayer and intercession of believers. The ark is the full surrender of the believer in the mercy seat. Thank you, Jesus, for complete victory. Rest. Victory and rest. Christ came to fulfill like only He could. But I wonder... Have we received a sacrifice? Are we walking in His cleansing power? Do we struggle with those same sins that we used to? Do we still feel guilty? Have we really appropriated that which Christ did for us? The new covenant, it's a testament. Somebody has to die for it to take place. Jesus died that we might Inherit all the promises in the covenant. He said he would be our God and we would be his people. He would write his law in our hearts and our, in our minds. But do we walk in that victory and freedom? Even from sin. Are there things that we still struggle with not feeling like God has forgiven us? Not realizing that Christ died once. For all of my sins. Many years ago, I was praying and like some of you in here had, had a, a pet sin, a secret sin that would come. And I would fall back into those things and I would find myself committing the same sin again and again, looking for victory. And I went to pray and I said, God, so sorry. I did it again. And, and I really felt... Him say, did what again? I've removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. I don't hold your sins against you. You can't sin the same sin again because I've forgotten it. It's under the blood. 
Today's a new day. Let's deal with your sin. Let's ask forgiveness, but let's move on. He didn't remember my sin from yesterday or last week. But the devil wants to bring it up into our lives. He wants to remind us of how bad we were last week and last year. You know, God forgave you of some of those things, but remember the time that you did that? That's still not covered. The devil will lie to us, but he wants to bring, God wants to bring true freedom, true forgiveness. He became the perfect sacrifice once and for all to cover our sins that the law of death would be covered. He came to be the mercy seat on the ark to give us mercy and not judgment. We want him on the throne of grace in our lives and we thank him. We don't fall under the judgment of God as Christians. We fall under his mercy and his grace. But we do have to appropriate that forgiveness. We have to receive it and finally be cleansed and washed. And this morning, one thing I just was really feeling is that I'm going to ask if I could ask Janine or Una to just come and begin to worship. Just play some. I want to spend a few minutes in, in sitting in the presence of God. Letting Him minister to us. I believe many of us in this room carry guilt and sin around with us. It's almost like our pet. It actually gives you comfort in some way, somehow. God wants to relieve us from those things. He wants us to be absolutely cleansed by His sacrifice. Knowing that we're free from sin. In order to be free from sin, there you might be sitting in here this morning and and you've never, you've never had the original sacrifice for sins received. You know that God, that Jesus went to the cross, but you never went to the labor, as it were, to look and say, God, cleanse me. Forgive me of my sin. If you've never done that, this is the perfect day. To say, God, I... I've known about the cross. I've known about your sacrifice. But I've never asked your forgiveness. I've never received your payment for my sins. Though it's easy, it'll cost you everything. Because it's more than a prayer of just saying, Dear Lord, forgive my sins, come into my heart. It's a stance. It's an attitude. It's a change of thinking. This is, I've done it my way forever. And I need to be forgiven. And I need to follow and trust you. I need to follow after you. And the prayer comes out of a heart that's been broken with the knowledge that we can't make it to God on our own. The prayer is the result of God dealing with your heart this morning where you would pray a prayer and a confession says, God, I am a sinful person. And the Bible clearly states that the wages of those sin is death. 
but of your free gifts is eternal life. I have nothing to offer you that would cleanse my sins. But you made the offering for me. You became the ultimate sacrifice. I receive your payment, your ransom for me. Help me to live for you. Help me to appropriate this forgiveness in my life and walk with you. Make me that new creation. rest of us, let's sit in his presence for a minute. Looking into ourselves and saying, are there things that I still carry guilt for? Oh, I know in my head that Christ died for me, but I don't don't deserve it. I was so bad. Those things are unforgivable. Christ wants to release you today. He wants today to be a day of victory and freedom. That the enemy can never lie to you again. Can never hold you back. Though your sins may be scarred, I'll make them white as snow. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. Not for just for every one of my sins, God, but for my sin. All of it. God, even those things that I haven't committed yet, your blood covers them. God, I pray this morning you begin to set people free guilt. Set us free this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Move in our hearts this morning. God, we thank you for forgiveness. We pray that you would show us the things that we need to release today. Show us those things we need to release this morning.
break us free from the bondage of guilt, of sin that we carry, God. We thank you, God, that you made us white, white as snowball.
we thank you that you are our God. God, that today we are the tabernacle and your presence dwells within us. God, we thank you that we see just a picture in the Old Testament of who you are revealed to us in glory. So glorious. God, we are in love with you. We're in love with you, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for your blood. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. And we pray, I pray this morning, God, that real freedom has happened for some today. Those who carry guilt of their past lives, their past sins, that has been removed. And God, when the enemy would come back and try to remind us that we would. that we remember our sins no more because you've forgiven them. You've removed them from us, God. No longer are they part of our lives. They're not part of our fabric that make us up. But we're cleansed, redeemed, justified. You don't dwell in an unholy place, God, and yet you dwell in us you've made us the righteousness God as we would leave today we pray that we would go with that I am the righteousness of Christ that I am forgiven that I am holy I am your beloved you've given us the victory God go let us go and shine the light of Jesus into the world. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for being our perfect sacrifice, our perfect redemption, the best purification.